Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Real Change Sermon Series from Romans 12, which is preached by our assistant pastor, Micah Bosman. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. I know this series for myself has just been... It's just been a great help to me as I've been studying it, and I I hope it's been a great help to you as we've been going through it. And uh, today, just a very practical uh, message to go along with what we've learned so far. And so Romans chapter 12, and reading verses 1 and 2. I'll ask if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read those first two verses together. Romans chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for uh, the way you've already spoken to us through this series, God. And as we finish it out tonight, we pray that you do just that again. Uh, Lord, speak to our hearts and give us something that we can take uh, to honor you more with our lives. Lord, we pray that you would just help us to uh, listen to what you have from your word tonight. And not only to listen, but Lord, as your word says, to be doers of it, to be able to apply it uh, as we walk with you each day. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Of course, uh, before I get started, I just want to let you all know, uh, with this series, man, I've enjoyed, I'm I'm, uh, humbled that Pastor would take three weeks off uh, of preaching to allow me uh, to be able to preach. I love it, and uh, and so I'm humbled by that. I want to thank Pastor, and I want to let you all know uh, that I prayed for you, and uh, and I was told in Bible college a long time ago uh, by Brother Clemens, he said, uh, you have no business being in front of a people and preach to them unless you have prayed for them, and so I want to let you know that I prayed for you, and pray that the Lord would use this in my heart and in the lives of all those that would hear this message, and I believe that tonight the Lord has something very practical for us, something very, uh, just very uh, easy to put into practice in our daily walk with Him. And so, uh, just to kind of recap what we've gone over so far in this series, of course, we started the first week just looking at the fact that uh, we want real change, lasting change, something that's going to be ongoing. And this process that uh, we've talked about is called sanctification. If you were here that first week, uh, two weeks ago, we uh, illustrated it on a whiteboard. I caught up here and I drew a squiggly, uh, wrinkly man uh, stick figure. And, uh, and then I drew just a regular uh, stick figure and an arrow in between. And we uh, said that old saying that uh, some people just have some wrinkles they need ironed out. And, uh, and so we want to go from the wrinkly man to the ironed out man. Uh, we got some wrinkles still in this Christian life. We get saved. We don't just magically become perfect all of a sudden. Uh, there is a great change. All things are become new, and we talked about that. But uh, there's a process of sanctification, uh, some wrinkles that need ironed out that the Lord wants to do in our lives. And that little arrow uh, really in between the wrinkly man and the ironed out man is what we call sanctification. That process of getting from one 
position to the other. Uh, that's what God wants to see in our lives. He wants to change us. And we said it very simply this way. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you way too much to keep you that way. And he wants to see change take place in our lives. And so we've been focusing on this process of sanctification. What does it look like in our lives? And we started the first week uh, looking at having the right motivation. Uh, God's love and his mercies. Right there at the beginning of our passage, he says, by the mercies of God. He's begging us to be motivated uh, in our change by God's love and his mercy. And then that right motivation will bring us to the right presentation and uh, looking at how it says presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. And we talked about how that's an oxymoron, but uh, Paul was just simply saying what he had already said in Romans chapter 6, that we need to live dead to sin and uh, live a holy and acceptable, pleasing uh, life to the Lord which is our reasonable service. And we ended that message by simply saying this, we give our lives back to God because he gave his life first for us. And we uh, want to present our bodies to him because of his love and mercy. And then last week we looked at uh, the two types of change that Paul talks about in our passage. There's conformation, uh, which is being changed into the same as, and he says, don't be changed into the same as the world. And we talked about how the world uh, is, is not... Uh, being changed into a planet or people, but we don't want to be changed into the principles and the practices of this world. We want to stay clear of being changed into that. Everything in this life we talked about last week will change us in some way. And, it, and the Lord wants to use each and everything, person, situation, to change us into the image of Jesus. Uh, but Satan would like all of those things to change us more uh, into the image of his philosophies and the philosophies of this world. And so we have to guard against that and make sure that we are not being conformed to this world, but we are being transformed. And we talked last week about biblical transformation is really conformation just into something that is completely opposite from the world, uh, being conformed into the image of God's Son, into the image of Jesus. And uh, so we uh, come to really with all of that, uh, if, we, if God wants to use every situation to change us into the image of His Son, uh, but those things could very easily change us more to resemble the world, how then, the question would beg to be answered, how can we make sure that everything in this life changes me to be more like Christ and not like the world? Well, it's a very simple truth, but a very practical truth for us tonight, and it's found within six words tucked inside our passage for this series. And the answer is this, by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. How can we make sure that the change that's going to take place in our life is changing more into the image of Jesus is by renewing our mind. How do I make sure that every temptation that comes my way makes me more like Christ? By renewing our mind. How do I make sure that every situation, whether it's a mountaintop experience or whether it's a trial in the valley, how do I make sure that I'm changed into the image of Christ through it? By the renewing of our mind. And that phrase, by the renewing of your mind, it's an interesting one. The word translated renewing in our passage is the Greek word anakahinosis. And you're like, okay, well, what does that mean? That word means this, renovation. Renovation. Well, that's different from what I usually think when I hear the word renew. When I think of the word renew, I first think more of a refresh project. Uh, like we gave the walls a new coat of paint. Uh, but the word 
renewing doesn't mean a refresh project. It means a renovation project, uh, which entails a lot more than just a fresh coat of paint. Uh, when I was interning in Georgia, there was a project that the church had been gearing up toward all summer, and they were talking about, and we were going to be renovating the church camp's kitchen. And uh, as we began this project, I quickly realized we weren't just freshening up the paint on the kitchen walls. In fact, we were knocking out walls, which was fun. Uh, we got to take sledgehammers and destroy the walls. That's a lot of fun. Uh, we punched through drywall. We, we even had a contest of who could run through the drywall and come out both sides, which didn't work very well for one guy because he didn't know that behind walls are what are called studs. And if you don't know what studs are, they're either two by fours or two by sixes, very solidly put in uh, so that walls don't fall down. So if you go to try to run through a wall to break it and you hit a stud instead of the drywall, you're going to have a headache for a couple days, all right? And that's what happened to that guy. It was fun, but we had a blast destroying all these walls. However, I still didn't understand the extent of the project. After the demolition was the cleanup. And after the cleanup was the building of new walls. What? That did not sound remotely as fun of a project to me. But that's what Paul's getting at here when he says renew our mind. He's saying, hey, if you want to be changed into the image of Christ, you have to go through a total renovation. Not just throwing a new coat of paint on the outside. Did you catch that? It, it's not just a changing on the outside works that we do. Uh, otherwise, we would be like the Pharisees that Jesus called out in Matthew 23, where he said that they were like whited sepulchers. They looked good on the outside, but uh, inside they were full of dead men's bones. Inside they were dead. That's not what we want, and that's not what Paul's talking about. Well, how do we know that? Well, for one, he uses a word that means renovation. And two, he doesn't say the renewing of your actions. He says, by the renewing of your what? Mind. We must completely renovate the way we think about things. This change has to be a complete working from the inside out. Not a fresh coat of paint of our actions on the outside, but a complete change from the way we feel and think about things that will then uh, manifest itself through works. So if we must completely renovate our thinking, that means we need to completely change our thinking. And tonight, a very practical message I want us to look at into how we need to have our minds renewed. And the first area I'd like to look at is this, that number one, we need to change what we think about our sin. We need to change what we think about our sin. <clears throat> change, or turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 4. You can hold your place in Romans chapter 12, but go to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read a few verses. <clears throat> if, you need to, if you ever need help finding any of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, or Colossians, this is how I always learned it. Gentiles eat pigs constantly. Okay, that's, I don't know why, but that's, I was going through and in my head I just said, Gentiles eat pigs. It's the second book. All right, Ephesians chapter 4. Just how my brain works, okay? Yeah. Ephesians chapter 4, starting verse 22. I want to read three verses real quick, and then we'll uh, go through some verses. But I want you to notice something. Uh, do you remember who wrote the book of Romans? Paul. Who wrote the book of Ephesians? Paul. I want you to notice something. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22... 
Paul writes this, that ye put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be what? Renewed in the spirit of your what? That kind of sounds familiar. We'll go on. Verse 24 says, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. In this verses, verse 22 all the way to the end of the chapter, Paul gives this principle of putting off and putting on. That sounds a lot to me like knocking down walls and building new ones in their place, doesn't it? Well, that's kind of the point. We need a complete renovation when it comes to how we deal with sin. We need to recognize our sin, renovate our thinking about it, and replace it with godly living. That's what he says. Put off and then put on. Replace it with righteousness, godly living. And Paul gives some examples. In verse 25, he says, Instead of seeing lying as nothing big, recognize it as the sin that it is and change your thinking about it. No, I'm not going to lie about things anymore. And replace it with speaking truth with everyone you come in contact with. Verse 28, he says, instead of stealing, instead of thinking how I can withhold from God or thinking how I can obtain what someone else has, change your thinking to how I can work hard so that I can not take from them but give to them to be a blessing. Verse 29, he says, if you know that you naturally speak abusive or discouraging words toward others or that you naturally gossip or you you lean towards speaking negatively about your situations, then change the way you think and look for ways to edify, encourage, and build up those who hear you speak. Verse 26 and 27 and verse 31 and 32, he says, if you know you have a problem with anger or bitterness toward people, then change how you think about them. Look for ways to be kind toward them. And we could go on and on with things that aren't even in this passage. If you know you naturally have a critical spirit, then guard against that. Instead of focusing about what's wrong with people or situations, try to focus and find things that are right with them. We need to destroy all aspects of sin. We, uh, they're a reflection of this world and of the old man. But we are in Christ. We're supposed to be a reflection of the new man of the new creation that we are through Jesus. So renovate your thinking when it comes to your sin. The Bible says it this way, mortify that sin. Kill it. Not just like push over a wall, like make sure it never comes back kind of thing. Just kill it. Uh, We need to completely renovate our thinking when it comes to our sin. See how serious it truly is and not just change how we think about it, oh, that's just a white lie, but replace it with godly living, with telling the truth, replacing it with really what is the exact opposite of what that sin you deal with is. We need to change what we think about our sin, but we also need to change what we think about our trials. We need to change what we think about our trials. Our perspective needs to change concerning the trials of this life. When I think of someone in Scripture who had a good perspective during a trial, I think of King David and what he wrote in Psalm chapter 3. Uh, I don't have the time, the time to go through the entire background of the psalm, but David's running for his life. The kingdom split in their loyalty toward David or toward his son Absalom, who's trying to overthrow his dad David and take over the kingdom. He's done it very slyly, very sneakily, but then it comes to a point where Absalom and his men are actually now out to kill David. David has fled with some of his loyal men, and they're hiding. And in the midst of all this crazy situation, one that 
Quite frankly, if I was in myself, I would not have responded the way David did. But in Psalm 3, David's perspective was this. In verse 3 through 6, he says this, But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. I laid me down to sleep. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Well, where was David's focus? What was he thinking about? He was thinking about the Lord as his help, the Lord's purpose in all this. You know, when I think of an example of this, uh, you're thinking about your trials. Uh, in my own life, I, I can't help but think of my mom. My mom, she's, she's gone through some of the most devastating things I've ever seen anyone go through. Her mother, my grandma, in my junior year of high school took her own life. Her best friend and her mother took her own life with no explanation. She's had family turn their backs on her. She's had those closest to her betray her and hurt her. And through it all, she has had a real faith in God that he would see her through it. And she's kept her focus upon the furtherance of God's kingdom, no matter how much I could tell she was hurting. My mom once said this to me. She said, the cause of Christ is of greater importance than my hurt. Wow. Well, what, it, what does that show me? That shows me she's not letting her mind focus on the trial. She's remained focused on God, His Word, and His purpose. That doesn't mean she didn't hurt. That doesn't mean what happened never, or never has or never does come back to mind. No, but what it does mean is that she doesn't allow her mind to focus on that. She tears down that wall and builds up a new one. She tears down that thought and replaces it with a new one of God's goodness and of His grace and of His purpose. That's why James says in chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. First Peter uh, 1, verse 6 and 7 says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Well, what are James and Peter saying? They're saying you can think joyous thoughts through trials. How? Because we know that it will produce patience. We're, we're thinking about the end product of what God will do, not on what is happening right now. Uh, when your faith is tested, rejoice. How? Because we're not looking to or thinking about the testing. We're thinking about that which is lasting. We looked at the verses last week, but in Romans 8, 28 and 29, it says, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. God wants to use everything. He said, all things work together for good. And we looked at last week that word good, that, that good work that the Lord wants to work through every single thing is us becoming more like Christ, what he says there in verse 29. Uh, God wants to use everything, yes, even trials, to make you more like Jesus. So instead of thinking, how is this going to make me look, think, how can I make Jesus look through this? Instead of thinking, how can this be happening to me? Think, how can this make me more like Jesus? A quote we shared last week by A.W. Tozer simply says this, When I understand that everything happening to me is to make me more Christ-like, 
it resolves a great deal of anxiety. We need to change what we think about our trials. But we also need to change what we think about ourselves. We need to change what we think about ourselves. Romans 12, 3, the verse following our passage, it says this, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. Last year, I went through a, uh, through a series in boys class on pride, and the series was, was entitled this, You're Not As Cool As You Think You Are. I loved it. I said, you're not as cool as you think you are. Some of us just need to be reminded of that tonight, that we're not as cool as we think we are. We're not as holy as we think we are. We're not as wise as we think we are. God, God doesn't help those who think too highly of themselves. And James 4, 6 says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. I've illustrated this verse before this way, but have you ever walked against or driven against a hard wind? You ever tried doing that? We call that wind resistance, right? Wind resistance. It's hard to make any progress when the wind is strong enough. I've seen videos of people trying to walk against wind in a storm, and they aren't going anywhere. Sometimes they go backwards. Uh, but then the uh, opposite is amazing uh, of wind resistance. Have you ever ran or driven with the wind behind you? You, you can go so fast with little effort. Uh, that's, that's the idea of this verse. The grace talked about here is not God's saving grace, although he does give that to those who humble themselves for salvation. But this grace is what we call God's divine enabling or God's divine assistance. When we are humble, we live with God assistance. That's what that word grace means. When we are humble before him, we live with God resistance. We can get through trials and temptations with what feels like little effort. Why? Because we have God assistance. But when we're prideful, we're living with God resistance. And that is a hard life to live. Trying to go through life with God actively resisting you will ultimately end with you going nowhere. It's better for us if we would just, as the verse says, humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. We need to change our, our thinking about ourselves and live in humility. And then the last one would just be simply this. We need to change what we think about. I think there's a blank there. You could just say, period. We need to change what we think about, period. Too often we focus our minds upon things that don't matter at all for eternity. A good filter to know what we should be focusing our minds on is found in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. He said, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. We need to focus on things we know fall under these categories in Philippians 4. But oftentimes we choose to dwell upon the unknown or conspiracy theories or whatever else we might mull over and over in our minds. But that's not what we're supposed to be meditating upon. We're supposed to be medita meditating upon, upon God and His Word. Psalm 143.5 says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the work of thy hands. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law 
talking about the word of God, shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make the way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Psalm 119, 97, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. That word meditate means to stir up in one's mind. The illustration most people use to go along with this word is that of how cows chew their cud. Uh, They chew it, and then they regurgitate it, which is disgusting. But they do it, they regurgitate it, they chew it again, they swallow it, they regurgitate it, and they continue to repeat the process. The majority of the times that the words meditate or meditation are in Scripture, they're referring to doing so with God or with the Word of God, meditating upon God and His works or upon God's Word. What does that tell us? If almost every verse that says meditate tells us that we should be doing so on God's works and God's Word, that tells us that God wants us to think more about Him and His Word than anything else. He wants us to bring back to memory His working and His Word over and over and over again. The Lord desires that we would stir up in our minds Him and His Word. Think about it. If we think more about God and His Word than we do anything else, then we don't have time to think about our trials. Why? Because we're too focused on the one who is in control of those trials. We, w- we won't have time to dwell upon a temptation. Why? Because we're meditating on the very Scripture that gives us victory over those temptations. We won't have time to think about ourselves. Why? Because we're too busy thinking about the one who is greater. John the Baptist, who by Jesus' own words was the greatest born among women, didn't think that of himself. His motto in life was, he must increase, I must decrease. Why? Because he was thinking more of the one who is greater than he was thinking about how great he was. We need to change what we are continuously thinking about. How many of you, uh, how many of you have seen the show Fixer Upper? Some of you in here have seen the show Fixer Upper. If you don't know what the show Fixer Upper is, uh, there's a couple named Chip and Joanna Gaines who they take another person or another couple or family on this show to a few different houses uh, that are in real need of some TLC, of some, some repairs. And then once that uh, person or couple or family has chosen which house they want to buy, Chip and Joanna start the process of renovating this home. And uh, there's this saying in the show that Chip says in the process of renovation. And there's always a day in the process that is dedicated to the demolition of the parts of the house that they'll no longer be needing. They knock out walls, they take out floors, they deconstruct fireplaces, all kinds of things. And as this day comes, uh, Chip says this. He says, it's demo day. That's what he says. It's demo day. I, I had Brother Robert bring... They sell shirts for if you're ever doing a project, hashtag demo day, okay, if you ever need that. And uh, Brother Robert, when we were demoing his house, which was, that was one of the only demo projects that was not fun. That's a whole other story. But Robert and I, he had this shirt on while we were were demoing his house that they they now live in. And I remember uh, asking him where he got this, and I had never up to that point seen an episode of Fixer Upper, even though my wife had seen like every episode, 
okay? And so I went home, my wife educated me on Fixer Upper, and now I'm a believer at that show. That is an awesome show. But I love how Chip, uh, every time that day came, he said, it's demo day. He was ready for it. Uh, he was ready for that demolition day. One thing that he and Joanna understand in the process of renovation is that before you can see the absolutely amazing change that they do to these homes, some things need to be destroyed. Can I just say this tonight? When we hear a message like this, we need some Christians who are going to stand up and say, today, it's demo day. And I mean this, I'm going to get rid of those thoughts I know I shouldn't have about my current trial. I'm knocking down those prideful thoughts of myself. And I'm replacing them with thoughts that are true and lovely and pure. And tomorrow we need to wake up all and say, it's demo day. I'm going to knock down any thought that tries to exalt itself above the knowledge of God. I'm going to tear down my worrisome thoughts about my current situation. I'm going to destroy those thoughts that tell me my sin isn't really that bad. And instead, I'm going to think on things that are just, that are virtuous, that are praiseworthy. I'm going to replace those wrong thoughts with thoughts of my Savior and meditations of the holy, inspired, and perfect Word of God. Why? Because it is by the renovation of my mind that I'll begin to see that continual process of sanctification take place. Some thoughts need to be destroyed in order for us to see the amazing change that God wants to do in our lives. And it's by the renewing of my mind that I will begin to experience real change. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit Moses Lake Baptist Church.com.